I greet you in the high and holy name of Jesus Christ, our crucified and risen Lord. On this first Sunday of Advent, we focus, focus special attention on Mary and Joseph, the holy couple, the parents of our Lord Jesus. And we give particular attention to Joseph. Though Mary and Joseph could both and probably were called misfits by many of their contemporaries, they were specially used, of course, by God. And Joseph is the only person who could legitimately call, be called the stepfather of God. Our scriptural focus for today comes from Matthew chapter 1. I'm going to begin reading with verse 18. If you're able, I invite you to stand for the reading of God's holy and inerrant word. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son. And he gave him the name, Jesus. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Please be seated and let us pray. Take my lips and speak through them. Take our thoughts and think through them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for you. Unless you speak, nothing of significance will be spoken. Give us your word, Lord Jesus. Amen. When I meet with a young couple to help them prepare for the baptism of their baby, I, of course, talk with them about the responsibilities of Christian parents in rearing a child. I make suggestions to them about how to raise that little boy or girl in the awe and admonition of the Lord. And then... I ask them a question that usually makes them uncomfortable. I ask, have you prepared a legal last will and testament? And have you specified in that document who would rear your child if you were taken out of the picture? 
Young couples don't even like to think about that. But we live in an uncertain world where bad things happen to good people, where there are travel accidents, where there's a pandemic, where there's crime. And so that uncomfortable decision has to be made. And if the parents don't make that decision, somebody else will if worse comes to worse. And indeed, the state may make that decision if no one else does. So it's a necessary but difficult question. What a huge question it is. Whom do you trust enough to rear your precious child? God had to make that decision when he sent his son into this world. God had to select a mother and a stepfather for baby Jesus. For a mother, God selected Mary, a pious teenage girl, maybe 14, 15 years old. She was part of a poor but proud family. And Mary has received a whole lot of attention, especially from our Roman Catholic brothers and sisters. The neglected person in the nativity has been Joseph, the stepfather of Jesus. God chose him too. Joseph was a simple village carpenter, maybe 19, 20 years old. In all probability, Mary's and Joseph's parents had picked them out for each other when they were small children. That's the way it was done in Palestine in the first century. And then when the young lady was 14, 15 years old, the young man was 19, 20, then they could either endorse or cancel those marriage plans. But probably by this time, Mary and Joseph had already fallen in love. And so they were eager to go to the next step, which is called betrothal. And that was a one-year legal relationship that preceded marriage. It was a legal relationship that could only be broken by divorce. And Mary and Joseph are betrothed when we meet them in Scripture. And in that strict Jewish society, a betrothed couples would never be alone together without a chaperone. Now, let me add a pinch of imagination. Now, this is not in the scripture, but it likely could have happened. One Sabbath, Mary's family and Joseph's family are walking home together from synagogue. And maybe Mary and Joseph were holding hands. That was allowed in those days for betrothed couples. And perhaps she edged him over to the side of the crowd where she could speak with a little bit of privacy. And she said, Joseph, she said this with a combination of excitement and anxiety. Joseph, I have like the most awesome news. Don't you suppose that teenagers in the first century like the word awesome as much as our teenagers do? Sure. And like our teenagers, maybe the first century teenagers could hardly say a single sentence without using the word like at least once. She continued, an angel has visited me. He told me that I am going to be the mother of the Messiah. 
I could hardly believe it at first. But now I can sense that changes are taking place in my body that tell me I'm going to have a baby. Joseph felt like he had been struck by lightning. I mean, this was a plain, hardworking guy with a practical way of thinking. He was a realist, not given to visions and angels. He did not believe Mary, and she could tell it. And so, trying to hide her tears, she fled back to her parents. Joseph was crushed. He could not conceive of her being unfaithful to him. He figured maybe she's been raped by one of those hated Roman soldiers who cast lustful eyes on these Jewish girls. And yet, if that had happened, he figured, I would have seen the pain on her face. Haven't seen any of that. She's always so happy. Joseph faced a tough choice. He lived in a society that was scrupulously moral about sexual matters. The only way to protect his reputation was to report her to the authorities as an immoral woman. He couldn't do that. He loved her too much. After numerous sleepless nights, Joseph decided to terminate the betrothal relationship as privately as possible. Therefore, Mary would not be in danger, though the village gossips would run wild. But before Joseph could act on that decision, an angel met him in a nighttime vision. And the angel said, Mary is telling you the truth. Go ahead and cut short this betrothal. Marry her right away. The child she will bear is the son of God, and he will save people from their sins. And the very next day, Joseph did as he was told. No doubt apologizing profusely to Mary for not believing her. He took Mary as his wife, but had no sexual relations with her until after the birth of her son. Now I want you to think about this young carpenter and the unanswered questions that must have bothered him. He must have thought, was that dream I had real? Or was it something I wanted so much that I invented it? Can Mary and I live in this small town with all of this gossip surrounding us? Furthermore, does it make sense for the Messiah to be born into a poor man's house? And how long can I stand to be half married? This is some awkward arrangement. Yet it is precisely here we see the glory and the greatness of Joseph. He was willing to trust God even amid doubts and uncertainties. He was willing to follow God's instructions for today, even though tomorrow was so unclear. Joseph is the patron saint for all of us who must live by faith in difficult and uncertain times. Some of you perhaps have read books, uh, a book, a one or two book by, written by Dr. Charles Allen. Uh, the late Dr. Charles Allen was pastor of First United Methodist in Houston, Texas. And at that time, uh, that church was the largest Methodist church in America. 
Charles Allen had to travel quite a bit on speaking engagements. He hated to travel by plane. He had this dread of flying that he just could not seem to get over. One of his friends chided him about it and said, Charles, you ought to be ashamed of yourself, and you are a preacher of the gospel. Uh, here you are, afraid of flying, even though the Lord said to you, I will be with you always. That shows a lack of faith. Charles Allen said, oh, no, no, no. Jesus didn't say it. Jesus said, lo, I will be with you always. He didn't say anything about when you get up high. Joseph had the kind of faith that trusts God in both the low and the high places. The kind of faith that perseveres against tough odds. A confidence that God can take the most unpromising set of circumstances and make them work together for good. Joseph was selected by God for the high and holy task of rearing his son. Yes, Joseph and Mary were most honored, highly honored people. But you know what? That doesn't e lead to an easy life. Neither in the first century nor today, if you're on God's most favored list, that can be costly. It was for Joseph when baby Jesus was just a few months old. Joseph and his little family had to flee to another country. They became exiles because there was a paranoid king named Herod who was out to kill their baby boy. And when that danger had passed, Joseph took his family back to their hometown of Nazareth. And there they were surrounded by gossips. And those gossips knew how to count the months between the marriage of Mary and Joseph and the birth of baby Jesus. From dawn to dusk, Joseph worked in that carpenter shop. Can you imagine what his hands looked like? Full of bruises and calluses. And the evidence is that Joseph probably died early, maybe when Jesus was a teenager. And that may, that may suggest that Joseph had chronic health problems. Yes, he was most favored by God, but he paid quite a price. St. Paul could have had someone like Joseph in mind when he sent this message to the church in Rome. He wrote, We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials. For we know they are good for us. They help us learn to be patient. And patience develops strength of character in us and helps us trust God more each time we use it until finally our hope and faith are strong and steady. Story is told about a young man who was, a, who was trying to establish himself as a peach farmer in upstate South Carolina. And he had invested a whole lot of work and considerable money in this peach orchard. And in the spring, those trees blossomed beautifully. But then here comes a late frost and just killed off his entire crop. The young man didn't show up for church as usual that Sunday. In fact, he made a decision never to go back to church. His pastor came to visit him to inquire about his absence. And the young man showed his bitterness. He said to the pastor, I'm never coming back to church. How can I worship a God who cares so little for me? 
that he would let a frost come along and devastate my entire crop. The minister stood there in silence for a few moments and then spoke to him in a kindly way. And he said, God loves you more than he loves your peaches. He knows that while peaches do better without frosts, it is impossible to grow great people without adversity. His object is to grow people not peaches. I think I know how Joseph lived by faith. I think it's because he knew three glorious truths. And I hope we do too. First, God loves me and has a wonderful plan for my life. Second, God will provide whatever I need that I cannot provide for myself. And third, Nothing is impossible with God. Do you believe those three things? If you do, you have the basic ingredients for a Joseph kind of faith. And you may have special need for it this Advent season because a lot of people are in tough situations. There's some people are in vocational transition this, this Christmas. The COVID pandemic has caused some businesses to fail. And there are other companies that cannot find employees. And then some families are discovering that because of inflation, they cannot very well plan for a, quote, normal kind of Christmas. And in those situations, it's hard to have a a Joseph kind of faith. And then there are some people this Advent who have troubled marriages. And at no time in the year is a troubled marriage more hurtful than at Christmas time. At one time, the marriage seemed so right. But now, with dreams being battered by harsh reality, oh, it's hard to have a Joseph kind of faith. And then there's some people who've been looking for the right life's partner for a long, long time. And here we have another year has come and gone. And Mr. or Miss Wright has not showed up. And such persons are are tempted to say, Lord, in this world of millions of people, is it too much to ask you to send somebody my way who would be a good mate? It's hard then to have a Joseph kind of faith. And then for some families, this will be the first Christmas following the death of a dear loved one. This COVID plague has has harmed so many families in America. And then there are other families that are waiting for the results from some serious medical test. And then there's still some other persons who've been told that there's no cure for their chronic pain. They've been told that you've just got to accept pain as your daily companion. And that is hard hard to face and still have a Joseph kind of faith. Back in August of this year, a man with a Joseph kind of faith died. He was Bobby Bowden, legendary football coach, Florida State University. He was 91 years old. And just three weeks before he died, he announced publicly 
that he was terminally ill. But instead of expressing sorrow or regret, he said this, I've always tried to serve God's purposes on and off the field. And I am prepared for what is to come. Bobby Bowden had a Joseph kind of faith. Do you and I have a Joseph kind of faith? Are we willing to trust God with our unfulfilled dreams, our unanswered questions, our unresolved problems? If so, we have a Joseph kind of faith. The great German preacher Helmut Thielicke tells about the time uh, when he traveled from Europe to America on a speaking tour. And uh, he traveled aboard ship. And aboard that ship was a large German shepherd dog. Uh, the master of that dog had decided to fly to New York by plane. And he sent his dog aboard ship in care of the crew. That was one miserable dog. I mean, the, the ground beneath him was rocking. There was no tree in sight. All the sights and smells were strange, and the world seemed to end at the ship's railing. He moaned and groaned the entire voyage. About a month later, Dr. Tilica returned from America to Europe by ship, and there was a, another dog aboard, a different dog. This was one of these little pint-sized lap dogs. And this dog faced the same conditions that the bigger dog had faced earlier. The rocking ground beneath him, no tree, no sight, no smells that were familiar. The world seemed to end at the ship's railing. But this dog was utterly content because right beside him was his master. And every now and then we look up at his master as if to say, this is one crazy world. I can't even begin to understand what's going on here. But you're with me, and because you are, I just know it's going to turn out fine. And the little dog was utterly content. A Joseph kind of faith is resilient and tough. It's driven by inner stances, not circumstances. Instead of badgering God with the question, why? A Joseph kind of faith asks, what now? The great Protestant reformer Martin Luther had a Joseph kind of faith, and so he taught us to sing in one of his famous hymns these words, And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God has willed his truth to triumph through us. A while back, I read an account of a pastor who was invited to speak at a men's prayer breakfast at a rural church in a farming area. And a farmer in bib overalls had been invited to say the grace before the breakfast. And uh, he began to pray as follows. Lord, I hate buttermilk. The visiting pastor opened one eye and wondered about this guy. 
Then the prayer went on, Lord, I hate lard. Now the visiting pastor was getting really concerned. And then he said, and Lord, you know I don't care much for raw white flour. Pastor opened one eye and glanced around. He could see the other people were concerned too. And then the old farmer continued his prayer. But Lord, when you mix them all together and bake them, I do love warm, fresh biscuits. So Lord, when things come up that we don't like, when life gets hard, when we don't understand how your plan is working out, help us to just relax and wait until you're done mixing. It'll probably be even better than biscuits. Amen. That farmer had a Joseph kind of faith. And I saw a Joseph kind of faith illustrated on the front of a Christmas card in these words written by W. Maurice King. He wrote, When all roads are dead ends, and all skies are overclassed, and all dreams are nightmares, and all hills are mountains, and all faith has oozed out, and there is no place to stand. Isn't it good to know that underneath are the everlasting arms? Joseph knew that, and I hope you do too. And if you do, you have a Joseph kind of faith. 